Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Southern Outdoorsman. All right, what you just heard was my fiance because she's sitting in here with us as we're doing this podcast. <laughs> We just recorded a cool episode with a guy who just shot a big giant bull. Awesome episode. Absolutely awesome episode. In Tennessee. Hunter Monk from Cleveland, Tennessee, man, just, he killed a potential state record bull in Tennessee. So we just got off the phone with him and we did a, oh man, it's an awesome episode. But we're actually doing a video episode tonight. Well, I should say, y'all aren't going to see the video, but me and Andrew. You might see the next video because I like this. So we're gonna I, I we're gonna get some cool backdrops and we're gonna start dropping these videos. Yeah, Make pretty much, guys. We we've been like during this episode, we were like you know, having a blast talking to Hunter, but we were also just I'm, I'm, I was dancing in the background. I was having a good time. So <laughs> yeah, you're making a fool of yourself. I'm sitting over here trying not to laugh. Yeah. Oh it, man, it, but it was a cool story. But it was also a very long story. So real quick, what let's recap it. our latest hunts, and then we're gonna. Hop into that episode. Dude, it's going to be very you, long. I don't know how long it is, but it's going to be long. I almost killed another deer today. Like, God, man. Mm. Mm. 
All right, run through it. Give me, give me the play. Dude, okay, play. all right, Quick. all right. So, so, hundred piece of public. It took me a while to get down there. It was kind of just still hunting, just still hunting my way in there. But the issue was the last time, last two times I've still hunted, which I've shot deer on each of the last two hunts. It had either rained beforehand. Up, I'm sorry, it's, it is what it is, man. <laughs> so, so, either shot a deer. Or killed a deer on the last two hunts when I was still hunting. But the thing is, I did it when it was either it had just rained or it was raining at the time. Well, I went out there and it has been dry for a couple of days, and that's not very efficient um, for still hunting. Pretty good but excuse. You got some well, I, what, what I did, I, I was working the border, working the border public to private. That's one thing we talk about a lot, guys. Is that's where you can find a lot of deer activity is on those on those borders, and the deer are going from public to private. It definitely looks like in the evening and mornings. That's what they're doing. They're feeding on, on the private side. Um, well, my, my mindset was to try to get set up somewhere on that, on that, uh, that, that line to try to catch these deer going from again, public to private. Well, I decided to get in the timber a little bit, get in this little finger timber and get situated. It was an absolute awesome spot. Tons of sign had acorn trees dropping all around me, but with about acorn 50 degrees, you've been talking Greg too much. I'm, hey, hey, Broadway, man, I can't believe you called him out. Mm. <laughs> I can't call out Greg for nothing. He's He already killed a nice buck this yeah, year. Greg's already killed a buck. What are you doing, dude? At least, oh, man, I don't even say anything. All right, anyway, <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> but, you know, at, at about, oh, man, there was maybe no camera light left, but there was maybe 15 minutes of legal shooting life left. I decided to get my stuff and get back out to the, the main trail, walking back out. I decided it was more open. And try to still hunt my way back to the car. And second I popped out, man, and there's a freaking deer. Oh, I think I ranged her 120 yards. It was a doe. And anyways, she was like in some tall grass. And in this area, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna try I'm gonna try and get on her really quickly. So I pretty much make a mad dash for her, cover about 30, 40 yards, and she pops out, out of the grass into like the opening. I was like, crap. So I dropped down and I'm on the edge of this tall grass where they had bush hogged trail. And um man, she sees me. But she's looking into the sun or looking into the sunset. She sees me, but she's like curious, and the curiosity almost killed this doe. And uh, she went from 120 yards. I closed about 20 or 30 yards, so she's about right at 90 to 100 yards. She sees me and she's like interested, dude. She's like looking at me and she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go down there and see what that is." And she's just walking, just like looking at me, just keeps walking. I'm I'm all hunched over on the side. I'm like, man, I'm about to freaking pin her. Like you know, whenever she gets me a shot, she gets out to. It was like right at 60. My cover range is 40, by the way, guys. I think she got to 55 or 60. And I, like she like looked away from me. I drew back. I think I drew back. She kind of saw me. And she kind of stopped and then instantly like turned and like went back to the thick stuff. I was like, crap, whatever. So I, I lowered right down. I start getting back up there and um, get past where she was. And the wind, dude, the thermals were freaking crazy. Like, everything was in my favor, but, like, you can't believe the weather, man. Like, it was supposed to be a south-southeast, man. It was, like, an east wind, northeast, everything east, but uh, it was just, uh, it was crazy. But, anyways, it always worked in my favor while I was kind of walking on the ground. The thermals were just crazy. And uh, get past where the doe was, work back down, and I came around a bend, and I looked past the cedar tree and looked down, and there's two deer walking right to me down the trail, like, right to me. I see them. They're probably at... They're probably at 80 yards at that time. And they kind of like walking down the trail and they kind of veer into the, the the cedars going towards the private land, which is right next to me. Covered some ground, got within, <laughs> I got within 50, 60 yards or came out and I started like peeking around the cedar. 
and one of the does she like bounded back into the thick stuff and uh didn't really know what was going on i, I still have not had a single deer blow at me dude by the way since we've been hunting yeah because they they all get like five yards from them and you stick them with an arrow they, they, they don't get a chance to smell me they don't have time to blow no but um but anyway so she didn't she just like bounded like hogged back into the thick stuff and there's the other deer sitting there i looked at it and it was like it was so dark i couldn't range my rangefinder. and anyways i put it back down put my bow down i look and it's probably 60 yards and it, it was a smaller deer I, I thought it was either it was probably falling from last year i couldn't tell what it was whether it was buck or doe so I'm, like, I'm just gonna start hiking back to the car because uh we had a podcast to record <laughs> and uh <laughs> man i started just walking and the freaking deer just stands there i mean he just looks at me and i'm like i'm at like 50 yards i'm at 45 yards i'm at 40 yards and the deer's still standing there and he starts like walking off walk, walking back towards the car where i'm going and i think i got within like 35 yards of the deer i mean it was yeah it was it was crazy it's not i'm not used to that back home like at all where we, yeah oh, like, deer see you they are gone they're like they see you like oh no big deal you know no big mm-hmm. deal so anyway like ah oh, whatever that guy doesn't look like he can shoot a bow oh man dang that hurt <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you showed them. <clears throat> oh, we gotta talk about that real quick. Below. All right, yeah, I hit you. You hit me back. All right, okay. All right, uh, spit up, spill, spill the beans. Okay, so everyone knows I've been hunting in Georgia quite a bit lately. I've been taking advantage of that sum of money that I spent on an uh, on a non-resident license in Georgia. And uh, I've been on deer pretty much every time, and I uh, I managed to swindle Michael Pike from Southern Ground into buying a Georgia license because I was like, dude, I need someone to hunt with, and he seemed kind of interested because in Alabama we're not open until the 15th, so he's like bored sitting around waiting on deer season. So I'm like, hey, you come down to Georgia and you could uh, come be chasing these bucks with me because I kind of told him what I had going on. I was I was on a lot of good deer. And so he, he ended up getting the license and coming down with me for three days. We kind of went over, like, the strategy. And uh, I got, like, a – we're, we're going to have a, a bunch of YouTube videos dropping pretty soon on this hunt so you can kind of see how it unfolded. But there's a there's a privet thicket that's right next to this road. And in the, in the video, you're going to see the privet thicket. Like, as I'm sitting in my truck driving past it, I literally point at it and say, that's where the deer are. And then I go in there and – Get within 60 yards of it and uh, miss a buck. Because that's mm. what I do is miss bucks. Yep. First night, first afternoon, I'm like shooting some B-roll of some like birds or something. Because I'm like, okay, when prime time gets here, I'm not going to be able to move like this. So I need to shoot my B-roll right now. So I have some like cool stuff to show in the video. And I, I like close the camera screen and everything. And I look to my left and there's a buck standing there. And I was like, crap. Trying to get the camera situated. Trying to make sure he's a legal buck, and uh, I get the binos on him and everything. He gets through my lane. I take a weird shot, shoot right up underneath him, which you'll see on the video. Uh, next day, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, and that afternoon, Mike almost killed a buck, too. But, again, you'll see it on the videos. <laughs> next morning, I ground hunt, find a nice buck bed, um, have four does run by me at, like, 18 yards. Some dude, like, spooked him by me, didn't get a shot. Uh, that was pretty exciting, just being ground hunting, seeing that stuff. And then that afternoon was pretty interesting because we hunted a different area. And we, me and Mike were both ground hunting, and he was sitting across this big open area from me in a little privet bush that was, like, real thick. And I'm looking over there, and I'm glassing, and I'm like, oh, 
there's a deer right over there by Mike. And I noticed it's like a little buck. He's right on the edge of being legal, but he ended up not being legal. But I got some cool footage of that deer, like, eating on the bush that Mike was sitting inside of. It was hilarious. And then we saw, like, nine does that night. Uh, didn't get a shot at any of the does either. And then the next day, uh, I didn't have any luck at all. I pushed into a totally new spot, and Mike got footage of the buck that I missed on Monday night. That pretty much wraps up my week of hunting in Georgia. Real time. A lot of highs, a lot of lows, but it was fun. Mm. Man. Oh, yeah. See, so this is all karma. You know why? Because you, you spilled the beans on the last episode of where we're hunting, secret little spot. You spilled the beans. I believed it. I believed and, it. And, and, and the karma came back for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And when we go there, so we're going to be hunting. And the place I bleeped. In the last episode, we're going to be hunting there with Parker and Mike from uh, Southern Ground. I think Tyler's going to be there, too. Uh, maybe a few other people. It's going to happen sometime this fall. It's going to happen at sometime this fall. Yes. Before okay. December. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. So that's going to be a fun hunt. I'm going to be pretty dang surprised. If we're all up there and we spend like three days up there, I'll be pretty dang surprised if someone Dude, doesn't have an opportunity at a good buck. I, I pray to God it. I hope it rains during that trip because I'm still hunting and I'm going to kill deer off the ground. I'm not. Oh, man, you, you spoiled. You think you're so cool up there. You're Tennessee. No, because I promise you I'll, I'll come back down and hunt old Central Alabama and get my butt handed to me by freaking deer. Oh, I can't wait, dude. I can't wait. I'm not coming back. Forget that. I'm staying in Tennessee. <laughs> dude, I'm not, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not even going to say that because I'm like, no, I'm not going to say that. You know you're going to come back. We got to go kill that buck that came by us last year. Man, dude, I know. Mm. Yeah, that's what we're, and we got to kill that buck you missed last year. What up? Oh, yeah. Oh, the rifle. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, okay, this is a long episode. We need to get to it. All right, what's up, everybody? Today we got a pretty interesting episode for you. <laughs> We're doing this over video, and Jacob is sitting there making a fool of himself. But today we have uh, Hunter Monk on the phone with us, who just shot an absolute stud of a Tennessee elk. So, Actually, well, hopefully he's going to be the uh, the now potential, hopeful state record. Uh, so, Hunter, man, we appreciate you coming on, bro. Uh, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you guys? Pretty good, doing man. Awesome. I'm doing good. Jacob just was out chasing a doe. Something. What'd you do? A couple of them. Yep. Puppy land trying to trying to get some uh, more meat for tonight, hunting off the ground, and came very close. But you know, I'm not a western hunter. I don't shoot at 60 yards. But yeah, got close though. Got very close. Um, but yeah, man. Well, Hunter, dude. Uh, man, first of all, tell us a little bit more about you. Uh, you know, a lot of people probably have seen your photo. Uh, I know it's kind of traveled across social media pretty quickly. Um, of you and your bull. But, you know, give us a little background about yourself, you know, where you're from, you know, maybe what you do for a living, and uh, just kind of get start from there, man. Okay, good deal. Yeah, I uh, live in Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, in the Chattanooga area, and uh, work at Remax Experience. My mom, she owns it, so it kind of got me into it. My wife, Brittany, she works there. So, uh, yeah, we work really hard there, try to make good money, but it's like everywhere else. But I'm 22 years old. Uh, I've been hunting since I was, gosh, probably 10 or 11. I mean, it was just, I just, from the first time I stepped in the woods, it was just, I loved it. I mean, just an addict the whole entire time. So, yeah, I mean, I just, 
you know, when I got the elk hunt, I mean, I remember sitting in my truck when I, when Facebook started, everybody's commenting my name and I was at my truck at the lease. And when I first saw it, I just started screaming, sitting there in the truck, just screaming. I was so excited. <laughs> so, I bet, man, that's, that's a dream hunt for a lot of people, myself included. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Well, well awesome, man. Well, let's kind of, let's kind of break this down just a little bit. I mean, for the, for the people that do not live in Tennessee or understand, you know, how Tennessee works when it comes to the drawing and elk tag, kind of explain what your experience has been with, with the process of, you know, how to buy or how did you have to get your, your draw permit and how does right. the drawing go down? Like, how does that work? Right. So I've been putting in for the Oak Ridge WMA. They're at the power shielding plant. That's where I usually like to hunt, but it's the nuclear plant up there. And so I've been going up there for six or seven years. Me and my dad used to go up there. So that's that's how I, that's my favorite place to go. And but I would say, I mean, you can put in for the President's Island and take you ten to fifteen years to get it. I just I don't like to wait that many years. I just like to go out and hunt. So every year I've put in for Oak Ridge, I've got it. So that's why it's just so great to go up there, just to having a place to hunt. And I've always seen deer. Never went up there and got skunked. So, and I've killed a couple deer off of there. So, yeah, awesome. it's, it's Tennessee. It's actually a pretty easy process. They've got the new app now that makes it super easy. But before, you'd still go online, and it was just a simple process on how to put in for the hunts. Now, kind of going forward, you know, what does it take to draw an elk tag? Um, I know we had talked about this earlier this week about, you know, how it happened for you, but. You know what, what? Do you know anything about the process? I'm I'm very unfamiliar with it. And I know probably a lot of our listeners are as well. And you know, how did you go about drawing that tag? Right. So this year they actually did a raffle. You could buy a ten dollar raffle, and that would put your name in it because TWA is just trying to gain some more money. And so I put in for the raffle, but that wasn't that what won it won it for me. It was. Just online, like any other deer quota permit that you put in for, there's just an elk section, and you just, I, I have a sportsman's license, so it's free to uh, put in, but I think it's like 10 or $12 uh, to put in for the permit, and there's no priority points, it's just random every year, so I was one of the lucky, I think, 15 this year that got it, so. Now, now that's they done, uh, like... Have they done, like, preference point systems in the past, or is this going right. to be the first year? Yeah, so, like, the deer, like I was saying, President's Island, it takes 10 to 15 years. So, you just yeah. brought up your preference or priority point. And so, yeah, I think right now you have to have 14 or 15 points to get the hunt. So, that's 14 or 15 years. You get one point per year that you're not successful. So That's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Well, that's that's the crazy thing. So, Presence Island. I mean, if you want to chase a absolute giant deer, I mean, they killed monster deer off of that. It's out. Uh, it's in the Mississippi River, I guess, right outside of uh, what is that? Uh, Memphis, Tennessee, I believe. Uh, but well, that's a crazy. Heard of this place? I know. Like, it's, it's, it's like a public land draw. Yes. I mean, it doesn't. It's not a secret if it takes 15 years to draw it. Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. <laughs> they kill absolute giants off of that place. Yeah, and our buddy uh, John uh, Jonathan Bone uh, from Catman Outdoors, 
Uh, he's gone out there a couple times and done the draw hunt for the uh, does, and it's had pretty good success. But he says he goes out there and you know he sees some absolutely giant deer while you're out there and you just can't oh, shoot them. Uh, so, so that's kind of rough. But Temptation. man. Exactly. So, <laughs> so uh, Hunter, kind of let's, let's talk a little bit more about you drawing. Now, this is your first year. Is that correct that you put actually put in for this tag? Is that right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it'll probably irritate a couple people, but yeah, it's the first year. <laughs> Dude, I mean, you talk about you talk about some luck. I mean, first year putting in, which again, it's a random drawing anyway. So, I mean, you know, you have the same uh, you know the same amount of uh, chances to win, I guess. Uh, unless you put in for the raffle as well, so that's that's pretty awesome, man. First time putting in one one of your tag, got your tag. Now, what region? Because I know the elk regions are kind of different from everything else. What elk region were you able to draw in? Right. So there's uh there's five regions. They each have a name, but they're right there next to the TWRA office, and uh, they're all close together. But the region I got was um, Tackett Creek, and this year they split it. From the north side and the south side. So I had the okay. north side, Tackett Creek North, mm-hmm. and I had, I think I had, I had fifteen thousand acres to hunt for my, my the whole place to myself. And then nice. the south, the south was twenty six thousand. So, oh wow, wow. Yeah, well, so I mean, as soon as you got up there, it's like you're in the mountains, you're in elk country. Yeah, and that's one thing that's very fascinating about this is. You know, they give out roughly 15 tags a year, um, and it's just the herd in Tennessee is doing so well that they're able to do this. And, you know, they have very good success rates for a lot of the hunters, uh, at least the ones that are ready, you know, ready to put in the time and effort for because it, it's not easy by no means. Uh, I mean, as you've kind of found out, which we'll go into that story in, in just a moment, but, you know, there's a lot of times, you know, you can't get it done the first day, which I had talked to one individual this year uh, who did kill his bull opening day for his season, uh, with archery equipment, which is pretty, you know, I, I think that'd be a, you know, pretty tall uh, task to, to to be able to manage. But you know, the elk population is doing really well. But one thing that's kind of different, you know, since you're you know a big whitetail hunter and never had any kind of experience doing this, is how much those elk move. And I know that's something we talked about previously. But is that something that kind of maybe caught you off guard, maybe uh, when when you were going out there? Is you know how much the elk were moving, and it was just so hard to kind of figure out how much of the sign you were seeing was either fresh or could have been a week old. Right, yeah, so I was talking to a guy who had won the hunt years back, and he was just saying, it's so hard to find fresh sign because they're such big animals that they leave sign everywhere. I mean, our whitetail, if it rains one time, usually the tracks are gone, or they see the, you can see the trail that they've been on, and you know the one they're working because it's beat down. Well, with these elk, there's tracks everywhere, and each tra- I mean, if they walk, anywhere through like high grass or anything it makes a trail like like we see in whitetail hunting and so that's the toughest part is just you could be searching for miles and miles and you just not on elk but then get on fresh sign and there you are so yeah so what i'm gathering is the elk are like pretty nomadic like that they're kind of moving around covering big distances correct that's interesting. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> yeah, and that's the one thing that, you know, you hear a lot about uh, is, you know, if you listen to any of the biologists that talk about the elk others, you know, they are grazers. They don't necessarily, they don't really browse like a deer would. Uh, so they do have to cover a ton of ground out there. But they're, the habitat's perfect for those animals, you know, the higher elevation. Now, Hunter, where you were hunting at, which is going to be kind of funny, Hunter, hunting, where you were hunting <laughs> at, 
what was the elevation at on some of those peaks on some of those uh, ridge tops or mountain tops? I think the highest point we got was right at 2,800 <laughs> feet. So we were up there good ways, and like the first, we'll get into it more, but like the first day or two, I was just up there glassing. I could see, gosh, probably a half mile on all four sides of me. So it was mm-hmm. just a good spot. I thought that would be a good place to start to look for elk. But, but yeah, it was like right right, right under 3,000 square feet, or right, right at 3,000 uh, feet there. Well, you know, one thing that we talked about, uh, about this hunt, you know, when you and me talked earlier this week was, you know, what gear changes were you looking to change for this hunt? Because, you know, an elk is such a bigger animal you know, compared to a whitetail. Uh, now, did that kind of affect you at all with anything you wanted to change gear-wise? Or what did you either have to change or want to change going into this hunt that maybe you would not have done uh, if you were just hunting some whitetails? Right. So as soon as I got to the hunt, I just – automatically the next couple weeks i was just searching uh on the internet just what kind of gear these guys use in colorado and out west when they're elk hunting and you just want to be as as lightweight as possible so i mean in whitetail almost year round i'm using rubber boots and i mean they're perfect because we don't walk much in whitetail hunting so i mean a mile or two at most but i knew that Rubber boots, it wasn't going to happen. So I went ahead and got some, I looked on Amazon. It was like Irish Satter Vapor Trek or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it had awesome yeah. reviews. So with about two weeks before, I got them before the hunt. And I started wearing them out scouting, going to check cams and stuff. And they felt great. And that was the biggest thing is like with the rubber boots, you walk a while, you get the blisters and stuff. And I've read on the Internet that uh, start getting those blisters, it'll ruin a hunt quick slow it down so oh was, yeah yeah that was the biggest thing and i got some new sitka uh gear it's the, i think the subalpine uh, yeah i saw that looking and sharp that stuff blends in pretty good it does yeah especially early season mm-hmm. so, i mean that stuff the quality of it is just better than any clothing you can pretty much buy and so yeah. i mean it's it's expensive <clears throat> but totally worth it well perfect now you know Gear was something big for you going forward, and, you know, you kind of adjusted some of that. Now, kind of explain to us, you know, what was your mindset going on this hunt? Because you, you did draw an archery tag, uh, just for everyone, you know, knowing, because you can either draw archery or rifle, depending on what tag you get, and you had your archery tag. With your archery equipment, what was your mindset going into it with your archery equipment? I know we had spoken on this earlier, but, you know, when it came to either broadheads or just, you know, what you were hunting with, you know, did that kind of – change your mind on what you were going to uh, try to hunt the, uh, the elk with? Right. So probably about my birthday is the first week of August. And so I, my wife got me a brand new Matthews Triax, which is Ooh, sweet. Yeah, got a keeper. So, nice. Uh, I know. And so <laughs> I've been practicing with it, but, but I've had a crossbow for years, an Excalibur crossbow that I've killed many of deer with. And so I had the utmost confidence with it. And so I practiced with my triax, but just a couple of days before, I was like, if I have to take a 50, 60 yard shot, I, my, I just don't have any confidence like I do my crossbow. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I'm in Colorado or something and you're able to use crossbows, but I know I get to go every year, then I'll probably take a compound just because it's so, it's so much funner with a compound. 
Mm-hmm. But just knowing that Tennessee elk tag, getting six or seven days behind it, the chances of you ever drawing again are slim to none. So I was like, I, I just have to. My confidence is in the crossbow. And so I could just shoot out to 60, 70 yards with it. And yeah. it just makes it a lot lot less on your mind whenever you know you can shoot 60, 70 yards at an animal and kill it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and confidence is a big part of it, man. If you're going out there without that confidence, you know, you might not push over that next ridge or you might not do this or that, that that could really change the whole dynamic of your hunt. But I don't, I don't blame you for bringing the crossbow, man. Like you said, the Tennessee, I mean, that's pretty much, I mean, probably once in a lifetime, uh, as they start, you know, giving out more tags. And since you killed this probably state record bull, I'm pretty sure a lot more people are going to be putting in for that tag. So it's only going to get harder. (laughs) Yeah, man, way to way to make it harder for everyone else going to shoot <laughs> a big giant bull. <laughs> no, for real. Well, that's that's something I found kind of crazy is, you know, I've heard of some people that's found some bulls uh, just while out, you know, scouting or whatever that you know were close to, you know, at three eighty to four hundred inch mark uh, in Tennessee. And I know there's some in Kentucky that are on that level as well, but you know, a lot of the guys that I had seen, or a lot of people, you know, buff hunters, male and female, I've seen, you know, harvest a lot of bulls you know, just aren't, you know, close to that quality. You know, most of them are like, you know, under that 300-inch mark. And, man, if you get a bull, which just eyeballing him, I mean, he looks, you know, 340 or 350. That is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, dude, this they get the opportunity to chase an animal that that's, that's that big, that majestic. I mean, I'm not talking just big, ant, you know, big antler. I mean, he's got a big body. I mean, uh, what, what did y'all come – what did the uh, game work, you know, estimate him to weigh? Yeah, so they said he's probably eight or nine years old, fully mature. And wow. I had to quarter it out because I was a little ways from the truck. But he said he weighed about anywhere from eight to 900 pounds. Yeah, that's massive. Yeah. a lot of steaks right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, we're, we're having a cookout at Hunter's house after this, I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. That's so well, awesome. Well, let's, let's kind of jump straight into the hunt. Um, you know, that's something that everyone's kind of interested in. They've seen the photos. Uh, some people might have talked to you and kind of got an idea of the hunt, but man, let's really kind of break this down. Once you had that tag, you know, what did you do before the season opened to try to scout out the area to really get your best feet going forward uh, to really have a good game plan when season came around? Right. So I uh, had a plan to go up there about a week or two before and just to be able to just kind of see their terrain, maybe check a few spots that I found on Onyx, the app the map app that I use for whitetails. But I planned to go up there a week or two before, and, of course, work just pushes everything back like usual. And so about a week before, I planned on a Tuesday to go up there. And the good Lord, he decided that he was going to drop 9 or 10 inches on East Tennessee. And so it was just, that just kind of ruined that for me, wanting to go up there. I mean, there's no point walking around in pouring rain. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that was the, and then, so when I decided that, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get up there. So I was like, there's a guy named Gary Owenby that he killed an elk in Tackett Creek last year with a rifle. And I was like, I've got to find this guy's number just to kind of pick up his brain, just kind of any advice I can get since I'm not going up there. And he talked, he was one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He talked to me for about an hour, hour and a half on the phone. Just told me about his whole experience and just gave me some really good tips on uh, when I get up there. And, and you know, kind of going forward, since you weren't able to go scouting, 
you know, how did that affect you? I mean, I know you kind of talked to uh, talked to him and kind of, you know, maybe got an idea of, you know, what worked for him the, the previous year. But, you know, did you have any kind of um, any Rails. kind of realization or, or worries that maybe it wouldn't be the same as when he was there? Or, you know, what what was your like your, you know, your A, B or C plan, you know, if uh, if it didn't really work out for you? Right. So he had the rifle tag, which the elk hunt. If I, in my understanding, it goes archery for seven days, and the last week of September, first week of October, is the youth tag. So the youth, it's one tag, and he gets all the zones for the whole week. That's the archery muzzleloader rifle for him. And then the last week, the rifle hunters. So that's getting to mid-October. And he was saying that by the time mid-October rolls around, they're not bugling. They said that was the biggest thing for him is it's kind of like turkey hunting that if you're not hearing him gobble, it's tough to get on him. Mm-hmm. So that was his biggest thing. He says with you archery hunting, if they're bugling, it's going to be a big advantage to you than it was to me. So that yeah. was the biggest thing. I was like, so I was like, it's true. If I can get up there and hear him bugle, then I can at least know where they are, know in the area. But once I get up there and hear, heard them bugle, I mean, those things are so loud that the one that bugled at me was at like 600 yards, and it seemed like he was in my in my shoes. I mean, it seemed like he was at 50 yards. And so <laughs> you could probably hear one from at least a mile away. Biggest thing, just getting up there that first day, I was like, me and my buddy went up there. I was like, we just got to get our boots on the ground and just walk. Just put in mm-hmm. as many miles as we can. Hopefully hear some bugles. And just give us a good idea of uh, how the hunt's going to go. As far as like bugling goes, I mean, were they like balls out rutting, or was it, or was it kind of slow, or, or kind of what? What was your situation walking into it? Right. So I was just wondering if it's any different than like the western rut. Right. So um, got up there the first day. Like I said, we put in our miles. Got up there early. Really, that first day, we almost used it as a scouting day. I think we only hunted maybe two hours of the whole day. We were just riding trails, uh, getting to the highest points, kind of glassing, just trying to find the sign that we needed and felt like that we could actually get out of the truck and hunt and get after them. And so that first day, we get up there, ride at daylight, up to a high point, and just hoping we hear some bugles. And it was just dead silent all morning. So then midday, we're just kind of riding around. Same thing that evening. We go back to the same spot. Like I said, you can see for half a mile to a mile everywhere around you for all four sides. So I was like, if one bugle's around me, I'll be able to hear it. And that first day was just so slow. And Was I it was hot like, that day? Like real it hot? It was, yeah. So here in Tennessee, we still haven't got the big cold front that we've been waiting on. I think here in Cleveland today, it was 83 or 84, and the low was like right at 70. So that's what I was dealing with all week. It was just that same kind of temperatures, maybe in the 60s in the mornings. But mm-hmm. I think that might have played a big key in it, and I just wasn't quite in the right spot that I needed to be. Well, that makes sense. You know, it's such a big animal. They got to stay cool. And if it's, you know, if it's that, if it's that hot, man, they're, they're probably not going to want to move a whole bunch, if I had to guess, you know, just – an animal of that size, you know, between, you know, 400, 500 pounds, all it's a thousand pounds possibly. I mean, you know, they're hot, you know, they're probably around wallows, but, you know, going up there, 
did, did you have any kind of, or what was your tactic going into opening day and, and you know, throughout that hunt? Uh, like, were you looking for any kind of um, terrain features or anything like that that you were trying to focusing on, um, you know, kind of bouncing around from, uh, around from whether it was creeks, wallows, open meadows, uh, ridge tops? Like, what were you trying to focus on, especially that first day? All right. So, Tackett Creek, TWRA leases it from, it's a mining company. I'm not sure if they're still actively mining, but it's an old mining grounds and so there's like 40 50,000 acres they've mined on and so on the maps you'll see these open areas where they've mined and stripped the earth and after they're done they're supposed to plant seeds or they just kind of let it grow up and so when I was talking to Gary Owenby the guy who killed him last year he was like I just drove through those strip mines and you'll see signs because it's just an open area they like being in the open they don't like climbing these mountains all the time and so on the map, on Onyx, I was just going into the hunt. I was just trying to mark as many of these strip mines as I possibly could. And in those first one or two days, I was just going through the strip mines, looking for signs. And it worked out for Gary, but it just seemed like I just wasn't, wasn't seeing the sign I thought I was until I got to the other place. But it was just like I was going through there, seeing tracks, but I mean, it was track here there but and then seeing a rub here or there but that was the biggest thing is going through those strip mines the, through those open fields and just trying to i did some calling in the mornings and afternoons and just i don't know just kind of maybe been a transition place for them that they were just kind of walking through to where they were wanting to be yeah i mean you think maybe it was too hot for them to be hanging out in the fields in the sun right yeah i mean they probably were moving, kind of like Whitetail do. I mean, those first mm -hmm. two or three hours of light and the last two or three hours of light. Yeah. So, and then after that second day, or during that second day, I mean, we hunted to, I think, 11. Went back to the hotel room, kind of relaxed until about 3.34 o'clock. Because, I mean, it'll start putting a toll on you being out there in those hot, in that hot weather. So, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah I bet. Now, uh, let's get into day two, man. Uh, so, how did day two kind of start out? Day two, we kind of got to that, that one spot where we can see for a long ways, just trying. I mean, Gary Owenby said that at nighttime and early in the mornings before light, they'd be bugling. So we got up there about an hour before light, got set up outside of the truck, just listening, and still nothing. So, and then as, as soon as light hit, we were like, we just got to start hitting these mountains. I mean, we walked... Oh, I think we walked 9, 10, 11 miles just that day, and we thought we found a good little spot, so we sat up on the evening and just kind of, we were easing our way through big time. We'd walk 20, 30 yards, stop, listen, walk 20, 30 yards, and we thought we were in a good little spot, but still, like, we just, there was more sign there, so we thought there might have been around, but it was just kind of, once I figured out where the real tracks the real sign was it was just old stuff that they were just kind of passing through and so later that evening we're just kind of down on ourselves kind of two hard days and just not not one bugle haven't seen anything seen a lot of turkeys and birds and stuff but not what we're hunting after so it's kind of tough and especially like getting up that third morning it's like it's hard to get up after not seeing something for two days and working that hard 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So third, yeah, third morning, we uh, we get up and go to that same spot that we saw all the sign at the old sign, and I think we put in another good five six miles just that morning, just working hard, going after it. And uh, but that's just we were down after that morning hunt. So. Well, going into day three, I know that was you know that was a pretty special day for you, you know. Explain a little bit about, you know, from that morning until when, when did you go by that shop, uh, the archery shop that day? Right. So about we ended up hunting at about 11 o'clock and mm-hmm. we we're just kind of go rest again, get ready for the evening. But I knew we definitely had to find a new spot. And so I was looking on Onyx when I got back to the room and it's probably about one or two o'clock. We uh, went went out to uh, lunch, got a burger or two, and then we were just riding around just a little town there in Middlesboro, Kentucky, where we were staying. And there's this little mom and pop archery shop. Good to stop in, just nice people usually. It was a Matthews dealer, so it was a pretty nice place. And when we walked in there, we just kind of chatting up, talking to everybody. And the owner of the shop, he was like, you guys haven't heard one bugle uh, the whole two and a half days you've been hunting. And we said, nope. And so we, I said, we were just kind of down ourselves. We're putting all that work into it. And he was like, I'm in here in Kentucky, but I go over here to the Tennessee side the past two past two weekends. And I go to this one spot and I hear him bugle for hours. As soon as you get out of the truck, you'll just hear him bugling. And he said, I just like to go up there just to hear that because you don't hear it a lot here in uh, the eastern part of the U.S. And so he was the he was the nicest guy. He actually showed me where the spot was on Onyx. And he was like, right. this evening, go check it out. And you should be able, you should, you, you'll be able to hear bugles for sure. And uh, so as soon as we left there, we were like, all right, this might, it's just a little boost of confidence. Just mm-hmm. in this spot, these guys were hearing bugles, and so we looked at Onyx. It's hard to tell, kind of the terrain. You can look at a topo, but it's a little difficult sometimes. But it was probably 3.30, 4 o'clock when we finally got to there. It was about a 45-minute, an hour drive to the spot. And as soon as we got down to it, we knew that it was just completely different from what we've been hunting. Mm-hmm. I think it was called something bottoms like misty bottoms or something like that and uh as soon as we got down there there's like a big open field it's like eight or nine hundred yards there's pines through it like young pines little cedar trees and we're just like my this is just a lot it'll be a lot easier to put our boots on the ground and walk and as soon as we start riding on the little trails i mean we're just seeing trees that are just snapped in half good sized trees where the elk have rubbed them and before we were just seeing just little these tiny trees just kind of bent over just kind of rubbed on a little bit so we didn't drive in there far we were going to hunt that big field just kind of walk through it and look at the sign because that's where that guy usually stops to listen to him and the wind was terrible for it it was going straight in those pines which more than likely they were better down in at four o'clock that day and i was like Let's just walk. Let's just walk the other way where we have the wind in our favor, and that way we don't mess this place up. For because we were going to come back that evening and try to listen 
to hear some bugles. And so it was probably four thirty, five o'clock by the time we started walking. And we were just walking the trails. I mean, even on the roads there, the little gravel roads, we're seeing more sun than we've seen in three days. Just track. And we're just like, this is much, much better. You just get more confident. You just start hunting a little bit smarter and better whenever you're confident. So like that, seeing more sign, a little bit mm-hmm. quieter. And uh, like when you in, know they're there. Exactly. You're just like, you got to be more careful. And so, I mean, there was sign everywhere. So like any corner we go around, you could see one. And so, mm-hmm. and so we were just, I think we put in maybe a mile. I mean, we weren't even that far in the woods. And it was getting probably 530, 6, 6 o'clock. And we crested this hill, and there was a big valley, kind of an open field, some tall, brushy stuff. But I was like, sound, sound should carry really good right here. So I had a bugle call with me, and I bugled. And by the time I ended the bugle sequence, he, the big boy just roared out at me. And it was just so, un- just so real, just hearing that. I mean, it was like watching a movie. It was like watching the hunting shows on TV that we've grown up watching. Mm-hmm. And, now, now, uh, well, I was going to say, Hunter, let me cut you off right there real quick, because that's, that's a pretty important part. You know, going from two days of not seeing or hearing really anything uh, in that time frame to be able to go out to this new area that, you know, a local told you about and have six, and, you know, be able to find some animals, you know, that's important. That's something that, you know, we've talked about a little bit, but, you know, it, the more people you can network with and talk to and get a better idea of where you're hunting and really what the animal or species you're chasing are doing in that area, the more success you're going to have, uh, especially if you find something that's truly gen- genuine that's really trying to help you out. And that's really what you found for that day, and I think that really did help you out because, I mean, if it wasn't for that gentleman that told you about that spot, was that an area that you were probably going to go to at any time? No, because it was right on the edge of the north and south zone. Mm-hmm. So I was really kind of basing myself kind of around the middle of it. Just that way, I mean, you just usually that's where you go to is the middle of each zone that you get. And so I had some places picked out that evening to go to before I talked to that guy. But he just told me, he said, you have such an awesome tag that I just have to tell you about this place. Mm-hmm. And it, it, yeah. It's not like he was promising me a kill or anything, but uh, he was just saying, you'll hear some bugles. They're in there, so. That's all it took. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, that guy, he was just awesome, super nice guy. But like you were saying, I mean, just hunters in general, if we just bounce ideas off of each other and we don't exactly tell each other our spots all the time, but just we we learn from each other just in Mm -hmm. our experiences hunting. So that's one of the good things about us hunters. We're kind of, we're usually pretty nice and just kind of, it's good to bounce ideas because we each have, different experiences every day in the woods mm-hmm. yeah especially especially guys that hunt public land i mean i know you, you know you hunt quite a bit of public land so do me and andrew as well and that's the kind of thing you know you, you i found some of the best guys I've ever met while hunting public land or, or you know around that area that you know hunted public land and a lot of people are, are willing to at least kind of give you an idea of what the animals are doing in that area again they might not tell you a spot but you know at least they'll give you hopefully an idea of what's really going on right now you know what kind of you know food to bed pattern are they really doing right now uh, in those areas, and I know that was huge for you to try and get into this this spot that, again, previously you probably hadn't really looked at, but was able to go in there and at least be able to hear some bugles going forward. But, you know, tell us tell us a little bit more about kind of like just the emotion of it. The second you heard that first bugle, 
uh, from that bull and, and what was that experience like for you? Especially for someone, like kind of explain to someone that's never maybe even heard of an elk or even seen an elk before, you know, what did that really do for you? Right. So, you know, buddy, just going into the hunt, we just, we wanted to go up there and see elk just because they're so big compared to whitetails. We wanted to go up there and see elk and we really wanted to hear a bugle. I mean, because it's just one of those things that you'll, you could possibly never hear again. And just an animal that big making a sound like that, it was just one of those things that could make a hunt. Just hearing a bugle and seeing elk. Not killing mm-hmm. something, but just being out there and hearing that. Mm-hmm. And so we just went into the hunt wanting to hear a bugle, wanting to at least see some elk. And, uh, I mean, as soon as he bugled, I think I think I gave him a hug. And I think he gave me a hug because we just knew. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was just awesome. Yeah, I remember waking up in Wyoming one day when me and Jacob were there. We got out of the truck, and it was just like the sun was just rising, and there was a elk bugling, and you could just like faintly hear him through the wind, and it was like, it was crazy. Yeah. It's like a sound you can't really describe. Exactly. It's so for real. So as soon as that happened, I was like, I think I said, I was like, there's our hunt. And there we, we, we heard one because we've hunted two and a half days, worked hunting hard, and just to hear one, just to know that, He's out there somewhere. It was just, it was just awesome. Now, how many miles up until this point had y'all walked uh, while on this hunt? Because I know that's one thing that you know the average guy probably isn't very, it's not very relatable with. You know, whitetail hunting, like you said, you know, most guys, unless you're hunting super deep on public land, you know, you might do three or four miles a day if you're hunting super deep on public. But what were y'all kind of averaging a day up until that point? The first two days we averaged uh, right at ten miles. So we were at, I think, twenty-two miles. At, at lunch that third day mm-hmm. yeah and that's uh that's not flat land by no means so <laughs> no, uh well so you definitely had to have a good pair of boots yeah that. so that, that was awesome now our miles you know, exactly now kind of going forward explain kind of give us the next little rundown of once you heard him bugle what would y'all's goals and what was what was your mindset right then and there and how did you go about trying to execute a plan to get on that animal Right, so we sat there for probably 10 or 15 seconds, just kind of in awe of just hearing him. And my buddy, we both had a good set of binoculars that we brought. That was another gear that uh, we we heard. I looked on the internet, and I was like, need a good set of optics, because you could be glassing a lot. So we, we brought our good set of binoculars, and it was just, I told you about it, it was probably 1,000 yards from this end of the ridge to the other end of the ridge. And this big valley in the bottom. And my buddy, as soon as he put his binoculars up, he said, there he is. And he was at the opposite ridge. I think it was. Oh, man. Yeah, I think because I ranged it. So I was like, I was literally, it's what I said. I said, it sounded like he was 100 yards from us whenever he bugled. It was just that loud. And I ranged him. It was six, 650 yards. But just, just my buddy just getting on him that fast. I mean, he just went up. And the opposite ridge, he was right there. And uh, when we were watching him in our binoculars, not 30 seconds after we uh, he, we heard him bugle, we were looking at him, and he just bugles again. And we just get to watch him, watch his head move, just watch him bugle again. And just look like he was like we were watching a, a TV show. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that was just it was unreal. Just being and then getting him on getting on him that fast. I mean, just mm-hmm. being able to see him. So I bet that was a surreal moment. Yeah. And so we kind of, the more we were looking, wasn't long, a couple minutes. 
and we start seeing cows with them. We just start seeing they're just moseying around, kind of feeding, grazing. And we were like, we got to make a move. I mean, this could possibly be it. And, uh, I mean, the trail couldn't have went any better. I mean, the whole time we were covered by trees, and he bugled probably five to ten times just on mm-hmm. our, just in that 650 yards of us just trying to close the distance. And I didn't bugle again because he knew we were out there, and as long as he was bugling and he wasn't going anywhere, I just – that was the biggest thing is him bugling let me know where he was and that he wasn't moving much. So we just eased our way down. I mean, that, that first 300 yards, we walked quick. I mean, we were booking it down there. And uh, I'd say that he bugled it probably two or 300 yards from him. And we were like, all right, we need to start easing our way. But that whole, the whole trek to the whole 650 yards, we were perfect. The wind was perfect. I was checking it with my wind decator. And we had trees guarding us from where he was up on the ridge. We were on a, it was a gravel road, which was pretty quiet compared to all the other stuff on left and right of us. And so we were just, we were just being able to get in there, ease in there and just get in there quiet right into mm-hmm. us, right into where he was. Now, how far out was he when you first were able to lay eyes on the bull? Right. So he was 650 yards because I ranged him with a range finder. Awesome. And when you first saw him like that, because, you know, you had heard him and then you saw him, were you just kind of, I mean, what was the experience of you seeing a bull of that size? I mean, was you, I mean, did you realize how big he was the first time you saw him or what was the experience like for that? Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I mean, that's the first elk I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And so I didn't know. I mean, I just knew it was this big animal. And like I said, whenever he was bugling, his head was behind this tree, so I never, I never saw his antlers or his horns, mm-hmm. and so that probably helped me out the whole, <laughs> the whole hunt. <laughs> I didn't know how big he actually was, <laughs> and so I mean, I went to the hunt. If I saw a spike with a with an archery weapon, I mean, I, I was gonna shoot it. Mm-hmm. So it didn't matter. He was a bull bugling. I was going after him. Well, so, that's that, that's that's fantastic, dude. I mean, it's one of those things that. God, to be able to chase a bull, chase elk, you know, east of the Mississippi. I mean, that's just. Uh, where Boone I, himself chased elk. Yeah, that's what gets me, man. Where Boone yeah, Andrew, himself. Andrew's a huge elk fanatic. He wants to do that Kentucky Dude, elk hunt. I, I would give up. I would give up any western tag for a tag in, for an elk tag in uh, <laughs> Kentucky or Tennessee. Yep. I'm incredibly jealous. <laughs> well, and that's the cool thing. I mean, this is this is something that's very. It's um, you don't have to be special. You don't have to have a whole bunch of money to get this tag. I mean, it's just the look of the draw, and that's the cool thing about it. Uh, you know, anybody could, I guess, technically win this tag if if you're just so lucky, like yourself, to be able to draw it. Uh, which is really cool, and it's really kind of interesting to be able, you know, find someone like yourself that was able to draw this tag. But you know, tell us a little bit more about the stock. I mean, you said when you dropped down to the valley, and, you know, he was kind of higher up on the other side, and you were coming back up. You know, what at what point? Did you know you start? I mean, sneaking on there pretty quickly and pretty quietly. And at what point did you get set up, ready to call him in to uh, to make a shot? Right. So, like I said, that first 300 yards, we were kind of booking it down there. I mean, we were we're just walking fast, just trying to close the distance because I mean, he was a good little ways away, and 
it was and that we had probably an hour and a half worth of light left so we didn't know how long it could possibly we could be sitting there waiting on him or whatever so yeah that first 300 three or 400 yards we were just trying to get down in there and we probably had about 150 to 200 yards and he lets out a big bugle and like i said 650 yards it sounds like he's right on top of you and at 150 it sounds like he's 50 yards away but we kind of knew where that ridge was and we knew that he was in the same direction the bugle came from the same direction every time so more than likely we knew he was up on that ridge still just grazing and he's probably just trying to scare that other that other bull off so we got to about let's say about 100 yards and we're like we got to close we got to we got to get set up somewhere and we had some good trees that we could still keep going because i was going to try to get as close as i possibly could to that ridge and uh i think we got to probably 50 yards 50 or 60 yards from him and the wind was perfect i mean couldn't have went any better but we our last tree we couldn't have went any farther and so we had to set up right there and i was like at that point at 50 60 yards i'm hearing his cows mew and he's got at least four or five up there with him. I just hear them. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of talking. And uh, did that did that worry you pretty bad that he had cows with him? A little bit, yeah. Because I mean, it's just more eyes. And being a whitetail hunter, I mean, the more does <laughs> yeah. out there. So. Yeah, too I many mean, deer yeah. sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> I had that problem so, one day. Yeah, I mean, you've got you got his set of eyes, and then you've got another three or four sets of them. It's like. You don't want to get too close because you don't want to get busted. But mm-hmm. I knew I had the wind in my favor the whole entire time, which was perfect. And we got set up, like I said, about 50 or 60 yards from them. That last tree was covering us. But I knew I was close because I read on the internet, if you can hear the cows, you're close. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't heard them bugle in probably two or three minutes. But another thing is, is, they're in some tall, brushy stuff. It's like four or five feet tall. And you could hear them up there just walking around. And so we kind of got set up at the bottom of the ridge. And I was like, let's see here. What to what to do? The wind, it could shift at any moment. So I was like, he's up there. He knows there's a bull in the area. So I was like, let me hit a cow call. Just one cow call and just see what he does. And as soon as I did that, he just, I hit the cow call. And he literally runs down the hill. My buddy mm. is behind me. Oh, but, uh, gosh. Yeah. My buddy's behind me. I bet me it sounded like up. a truck. It did. Yeah. I mean, it sounded like he was just snapping trees in half going down the trail. But he just runs down the hill. And the trail, it went, we were set up on the trail and it went a little left. And we were kind of blindsided by that, which kind of hurt us here in a minute. But we heard them. They were probably to our northwest about 10, 11 o'clock. When they were up on the ridge from us and as soon as i hit that bugle in five seconds he runs down the runs down the ridge and when he gets to the bottom of it you can, you can tell he was on the on the trail because as soon as he hit down there he got quiet but i could just hear him kind of stomping around and uh it sounded like he was gonna try to get around us wind us and if we on our left side it was just some of the thickest stuff if he went and went to the left of us, we'd have never got a shot. I couldn't see five yards to my left. It was so thick. So we heard him to our left, 
and he let out kind of a light bugle. It was just a sound I'd never heard before. And uh, you just kind of, you could tell he was a little mad. He was wanting to figure out what it was. And uh, it sounded like he was going to try to go out left. So I was like, I hate to do this, but I got to hear, I got to hit that bugle again because he probably doesn't know exactly where we are. And I hit that bugle again. He's probably 20 or 30 yards, but he's just blind. We're blindsided, so he's just in that thick stuff. And he lets out a bugle at 20 or 30 yards. It's a loud one. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, it just raises the hair on your neck hearing that. Yeah, uh, I bet you could feel it in your dang bones, man. Exactly. And so, but as soon as he was done bugling, I heard him coming. I mean, he was just thump, thump, thump. You know, he was just stomp, stomping right to us, going right down the trail. But like I said, that trail kind of ended, and then it went to the left, and we are blindsided. And my buddy goes, here he comes. And he was probably 15 yards coming through the trail. I hadn't seen him yet. And by the time he gets right there in front of me, he's at 10 yards looking straight at me. I mean, all I see in my scope, my crossbow scope, is just two big fat shoulders. And I'm like, like I read on the internet going into it, don't shoot an elk in the shoulder, kind of like a whitetail. You don't want to shoot a elk or a whitetail in the shoulder with a bow. I mean, it's just not good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's not a vital shot, so I was like, I just can't do it. But as soon as he got to 10 yards, he knew something wasn't right. He was looking straight at us. He didn't know what we were, but we, uh, I mean, he was just looking straight at us. I had the shoulder shot, didn't do it. I was like, I can't do it. I can't injure this bull or just be out there waiting all night uh, trying to trying to get him. So I waited. And he was there for probably, he just stared at us for probably 10 seconds. And he knew something wasn't right, and he kind of startled. And he kind of went to where he came from. And I knew, I was like, I've seen him in the, in the videos that I watch. If they don't know what you are, they won't, they won't get out all the way. And so I just kind of eased up the trail. My buddy stayed behind with the cow call, and I just kind of eased up the trail. Well, luckily, my buddy hit the cow call when he kind of startled off running, and he stopped at like 30 yards. But I didn't have a shot. You know, I mean, it was some of the thickest stuff. And I was like, God, this stinks. But he stopped at 30 yards, and he startles again. And luckily, when he does that, my buddy hits the cow call again, and he stops at 50. And I'm there in the middle of the trail, almost walking after him, just trying to get a shot. He doesn't know what we are, but he definitely knows something isn't right. And he stops it, I think, after 52 yards, I ranged it after I shot. But there was just one opening there. He was going, heading back up the ridge. And uh, I just, I've been hunting so long. You can kind of range trees and stuff. You've ranged enough stuff to kind of get your whereabouts. And I was like, he's ran a good little ways. So I'm thinking it's got to be 50, at least 50 yards. And uh, I put the 55 pin or the 55, uh, reticle on him and just squeezed it off right behind his shoulder and as soon as I shot you hear that pow I mean it just hit you know (laughs) yeah I mean it just hits the cavity you know that if you've ever shot something with a bow you know that sound Mm -hmm. and uh, as soon as I heard that sound I was like all right there we go I I actually hit him so because it I mean ranging like that off your head if something like that happens so fast paced you never know but uh everything felt good it was steady 
So at 55, I hit him, and he uh, runs off hard. I mean, he's just, it sounds like he's coming off the ridge like before, but he's just heading back up that ridge, and he's just hammering everything. And so I, I was really glad about that because I knew I hit him good, and he's just going through there crazy, just trying to trying to get away from us. So yeah, it just sounds like he's, like, running into junk. He's, like, running trees over, just breaking it, it, stuff. Exactly. Cool. That's what you want to hear. Jacob, what were you trying to ask? Well, I was going to say, when he, when he was going away from you, when you were able to get your shot off, you know, what was the shot angle like? I mean, was he quartering away, or what, what was the what was the shot angle like? No, it was perfect broadside. So, oh, really? Yeah, so, like I said, whenever he was at 10 yards, he was looking straight at me. He'd come around that corner, huh. and he was trying to find that cow. And I just couldn't take that shot. But luckily, at that 50 yards, I find this one spot through these five or six-foot weeds. And he's just perfectly broadside, looking back at us, just trying to figure out what we were. And uh, so that helped a lot, just having a perfect broadside shot. Uh, well, after after the shot happens and you hear the you hear the bolt, you know, make contact w- with the bull. Uh, you know, what was the emotion at that point? I mean, what what were you thinking? What were you feeling right when you you squeezed off and you heard and saw the impact? Yeah, I looked back at my buddy, and he's just going crazy. Because, I mean, as soon as, we, as soon as you hear that big smack, you know you hit one good. And, uh, I mean, we just, we weren't yelling or anything. We were definitely jumping around. Um, he starts crying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I start tearing up. Because, I mean, it was, I mean, two guys, uh, I think we started hunting in eighth grade. Two guys hunting since we are 12, 13 years old. Just goofing around most of the time hunting. And then we just kill a monster bull in Tennessee. It was just, it was just awesome. I can imagine. God, yeah, way, man. Yeah, just emotions just kind of poured out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sat there for probably five, two minutes, just like in awe, just talking, how in the world did that just happen? Because it literally, I mean, that's the first encounter we've had. And it all happened within about 30 to 45 minutes. So it happened so fast, we were just kind of just trying to get our thoughts together, really. Well, you know, after that, I mean, I can ex- I can understand the emotions. I'll say when I was in Wyoming, I, I, I was I was in a state of mind where no, dude, and, Jacob shoots his deer and he turns around and goes, "I love you, man." Uh, you know, I, I said something else. I was like, "I, I effing love you." Yeah. Man. <laughs> freaking hugging him, freaking fall on the ground. That was ret- I, it was bad. It was oh, really bad. So, I mean, I, that's, that's that's part of it, man. That's that's one of the parts. That's one of my favorite parts of the hunt is just sharing it with a friend, that camaraderie of it. Yep. Well, you know, after the shot and everything, and you kind of, you know, how, first of all, after the shot, you know, y'all kind of celebrated for a little bit. What was your mindset, and what were y'all going to do next, you know, after you shot that animal, you know, shot that bull? Uh, were, you know, were you going to push in? Were you backing out? You know, what was y'all's mindset right then? Yeah, so we probably waited there 20, 30 minutes just kind of talking trying to get our emotions together and uh usually if you hit something good like a white tail I, I try to give it at least an hour on every deer it doesn't matter if i don't see it fall i try to give it an hour but at like 20 30 minutes we were gonna walk back to the truck because we went about a mile back to the truck just to get the knives and uh we could drive the truck up to actually where we shot it and uh so we were gonna drive the truck up there and then by the time we did that it had been that hour, hour and 15 minutes. And so I was like, let's just ease in there. That's where I shot. Let's just see if we can find the arrow. Let's see if we can just find some blood. 
because, like I said before, the trails, I mean, he made a trail for himself just running mm-hmm. through there. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we got to the to the shot, we had we didn't see any blood for probably 10, 15 yards. So it's like, oh, no, did I hit that shoulder? Did I hit him in the back? Did I? It's just you get all those questions in your brain. Yeah. And it was probably 10 or 15 yards, and he just opened up. I mean, it looked like a paintbrush through the woods of blood. Yeah. And, yeah, so, I mean, it was an easy blood an easy blood trail to follow. Uh, he was just – and it looked like he was falling all over the place. I mean, there's puddles, just big, huge puddles. Uh, and it was just good. I mean, we were going to ease our way through until we saw that. And because, I mean, if you hit a whitetail like that, they're going to be down within 100 yards. And so we probably jumped the gun a little bit. We probably started, I mean, we were we were going pretty quick through there because we were just seeing, I mean, lots and lots of blood. And uh, we're just kind of going through there. And he's, we probably walked 80 yards on the trail. And we're like, golly, this guy is tough. I mean, literally the whole entire 80 yards, there's just blood everywhere. And so... We just kind of start slowing down from there. Blood hadn't stopped any, but we were like, maybe this guy, maybe this guy's a little tougher than we thought. And uh, it was getting dark. It was probably 7 o'clock by then, and we probably only had 20 minutes left of daylight. And uh, But we definitely wanted to find him before, before it got dark. So we started slowing down, and we got to the top of the ridge where he was, where we first saw him. And we, we lost blood. We were like, what in the world happened here? We were just going up the same trail he was going the whole entire time. And uh, we looked down the trail, and there he was at the very bottom of the ridge. He had just, he just fell all the way down probably 100 yards down the ridge and was laying down there at the bottom. And oh, I just saw man. his antlers. I just saw his antlers and like a light shaded body. And I was like, that's him. We got him. And so I, I start running down that hill. I'm stumbling <laughs> all over the place. My buddy, he's yelling me, don't you break an ankle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I just run downtown. And when I got down there, I mean, it was like just how big the body was and just the hooves on him. I was like, this is unbelievable. Because when he was up at 10 yards, I could see he was big. But, you know, I mean, with that being my first bull I ever saw, I didn't have time to count anything or actually see. So when I got up to him, I was like, all right, wow, he is ginormous. There's seven on this side. And I was like, one, two, oh my, there's nine, nine by seven. Mm-hmm. And it really didn't hit me that he could possibly be a record for a Tennessee Bull until, really until I posted it on social media and my mom did. And everyone was like, that's a complete monster. So yeah. it was just getting down to it was like, just being able to see him for the first time, getting up there. Usually with a watch tail, you can just grab those the antlers and just look at him. This thing, you got to put some effort to hold this baby. <laughs> <up. laughs> Hard to get look. it through the doorway when you get the antlers back. Exactly. And so <laughs> I was like, well, this is completely well, say, different. Let's, yeah, let's talk about that, Hunter. I mean, so you know, you ran out to the bull. You saw how big it was. I mean, that's one thing that the average guy in the southeast has never really seen an elk. 
they can't probably realize. I mean, it's the size of, I mean, of, of a cow. I mean, it's a, it's like honestly. a horse with a tree growing out of its head. But uh-huh. when big, I mean, some of them are bigger, dude. I mean, it's just, it is absolutely outrageous how big an elk is. And obviously, I've never seen one dead that close. Uh, you know, I've only seen them alive. I've seen quite a few of them up in Arkansas. And then uh, up in Wyoming, but man, just to be that close to an animal of that size, and, and you know the size not only this, you know his antlers, but also just his body. I mean, that is that is unreal. And I mean, was, was that kind of like a, you know, you kind of talk about was that kind of like a shock and awe moment for you, just seeing how huge that animal was right there in front of you, and that this is something that was possible for this area? Because I mean, you talked about you know if you had the opportunity to shoot a shoot a spike bull, you know you were and take him. I mean. Did, did that kind of blow you away on the quality of, of what you were first of all able to take, but, you know, what was really out there? Correct, yeah. So I really didn't have high hopes for the hunt. I just wanted to see some elk and hear some bugles. But when I got down there down there to him, it was just, I mean, he's probably three, four feet wide, just mm-hmm. his antlers are. Yeah. And uh, he's probably seven or eight feet long, his body. I'm just like, this is unbelievable. I mean, me, me and my buddy, we're just kind of trying to maneuver him around, just trying to get a good picture. And <laughs> <laughs> with both of us, I mean, yeah, it was it was tough. So yeah, just seeing an animal. I mean, we're used to seeing hundred pound does, hundred fifty pound bucks, maybe a two hundred pound deer, at their fully mature. But mm-hmm. just to see something double, triple, quadruple that size laying on the ground that you just killed, it was just, it was just crazy. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine, dude. I I need to get me an elk tag one of these days. Hopefully (laughs) next year I'll get to go to Colorado or Montana or something. But, uh, see, I mean, dude, there's so much talk around Kentucky and Tennessee for, you know, like, yeah, our growing elk herds and everything and how it's interesting because there hasn't been elk here in a long time. But, like, the trophy quality, I hear so much talk about how, like, oh, man, there's some true 400s in in, uh, Mm -hmm. Kentucky and Tennessee. I'd, I'd kind of like to know the statistic of like Western dudes who are putting in for that tag, or I don't know if you can can a non-resident put in for the Tennessee tag. I'm not sure. Know. I'm not. I. Yeah, for I'm not sure. Reason, I. I think they can. I think they can now. I wonder how many Western dudes are throwing in with these tags, like wanting to, like thinking they're going to get like a really good trophy tag, like instead of putting in like Arizona, like. Gila strip or, or whatever it's called or uh what's it called it's not the Gila the Gila National Forest is is the area I'm thinking of I don't remember there's some like really good trophy units in Arizona and people are comparing it to that so I've heard um I don't know dude but that, that's pretty interesting yeah so just, just another, how it's different yeah another thing was is they're not hunted year round mm-hmm. or they're only hunted for two or three weeks out of the year yeah and... super super restricted yeah, and that Gary Owenby guy, he said they'll be very receptive. Because you got to think, yeah. all year round, no one's calling at them. When they hear a cow call or they hear a bugle, that's what they hear. I mean, it's a bull mm-hmm. or a cow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's really what a big advantage, especially hunting in Tennessee like this, is these bulls and all these elk, They don't, they, people aren't calling to them all the time. So yeah, I mean, as, they're not going to be as weary as the whitetails or elk out west where people are constantly hunting them yeah i mean it, it's like a dream tag when you think about it i mean it's a it's an animal that hasn't been hunted hard you know pretty much at all over the years you know it's like a new established population 
super light pressure and you're going in there to an animal that's you know you probably have a, a good age dynamic in your herd like you probably got some older a lot of older animals in your herd that have hardly ever been messed with by people as far as you know cow calling and bugling goes correct yeah well one other thing i was going to touch on actually just check the regs while y'all were talking in actually yes non-residents can uh put in for that tag and actually you know get that tag so i don't know what statistic that is and actually now after looking it up uh our, our buddy uh rick taylor uh he's actually guiding a woman she is from somewhere in, we're in florida um I believe she's from Florida, but anyways, he's guiding her on a, on a rifle hunt, uh, I think this coming week, or the following week, um, so yeah, non-residents can put in for this tag, which is something, you know, it's pretty awesome, I mean, I think everybody should do it, I mean, it's kind of like, just like Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky's the same way, uh, so I know this next year, I will be putting in for both Tennessee and Kentucky, but, <laughs> but, you know, you know, we kind of got a little tangent right now, a little, little rant, but, you know, how do you get back to the, this, this whole experience, so, you know, once you had the bull down, you know, y'all took some photos of it, and, you know, this kind of was um, a life-changing moment probably for you. What, what was it, y'all's next step? I mean, I, I know you said, I think you had the game works and everything come in, but, you know, how were you able to get the bull out of there? Right. So, we called the game warden. We went ahead and told him. And, like I said, this tech at Creek, it's, it's about an hour from their office. Um, so, they don't they don't come to the actual kill site. They just want you to meet meet them, and that way they can do some tests afterwards once you get out of the woods, or they said they would meet me anywhere. And so later that evening, he met me at the hotel I was staying at. But, yeah, as soon as we got down to him and got finished taking pictures and stuff, we were like, here's where the real work starts. And we just, we were kind of stupid about it. I don't even know. I think we were just so tired after those three days that our brains just were not working. But we decided we were going to gut him, and I had some straps in the back of my truck, and we were going to pull that thing up in the back of the truck and I take it to a processor, or I didn't know what we were going to do. But I was like, as soon as we just, we probably spent 30 minutes gutting it. I mean, a huge gut job. Uh, and then we spent, we spent probably another 30 minutes to an hour trying to get him up in the truck and we decided, and we figured out real quick that wasn't going to happen. So we just decided, I bought some game bags just in case I had to quarter them out for a mile or two. I didn't realize I'd be able to drive real close to him. But, uh, yeah, we started, took the back legs first. We just decided we were going to have to quarter them out. And that's the only way we're going to get him up in the truck. Well, you know, so kind of give us or give us and the listeners an idea, you know, how much meat processed meat were you able to get, you know, off this animal? And also, uh, what did you do with antlers? Right. So we probably, I mean, it was, let's see here, it's probably getting 10 or 11 o'clock by the time, or probably 9, 10, 11 o'clock by the time we started quartering him up. So it was getting late and... We probably didn't do the best job getting all the meat together, but I'd say I probably got a good three, two, probably three hundred pounds of meat off that thing. <laughs> so I'm sure. Yeah, I know we left some. I mean, we just weren't doing a very good job. It was late. We didn't have very good lights and stuff. But yeah, we probably got two to three hundred pounds of meat off of them. And then <clears throat> I asked the game warden, Brad Miller. 
Um, he was awesome throughout this whole experience. But I asked him where most of these people were taking their elk or where a good spot that he knew. And uh, he told me Wilson's taxidermy. Mm-hmm. And the next day, I, that day, the next day, I took him home, showed everybody in Cleveland. A bunch of people came and looked at him. But that, uh, let's see, I killed him on Monday. Tuesday, I showed him off. Wednesday, I took him uh, to Wilson's taxidermy studio. And I think it's Crossville, I believe. And he's the one that did the Tucker Buck, the big 300-inch, mm-hmm. the world record. Yep. And so when I got there, I was like, this is the place I needed to take him. I mean, just his, just his studio, just all the animals that he had just drying in there. Uh, it was just unbelievable. I, I'm so excited just to hear, just to see it when he's done with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. As I said, they do a phenomenal job uh, over at Wilson's, and I've seen some of their work. And we've had actually, I've got a couple of our friends that got some work done from them. It's it's phenomenal. I mean, if you've got if you've got the money and you want the highest quality mount possible. I mean, you cannot. I don't think you can beat Wilson's. I mean, it's it's unreal his quality on what they do over there uh, at, at their tax ceremony. But you know, other than that, you know, what, what was your biggest thing you got out of this hunt? And uh, after that, we'll we'll wrap this up. Biggest thing was, uh, I mean, those first couple of days, we were kind of getting discouraged, but we were seeing some of the best views that we've that we've seen in our whole entire life, and uh, just being up there, being able to hunt out in Tennessee. Almost did. I mean, it almost did it for us. We would have, if we were just hunted up there seven days, saw the views, heard some bugles, it would have made a hunt of a lifetime. So mm-hmm. that was just, that's what we went into it thinking. Just, we'll just go up there, have fun, cut up, hunt hard, and if we kill something, that'll just pop the cake off. Awesome. Well, Hunter, we, we do appreciate you, man, coming on for tonight and, and talking well, to us got, about this hunt. I got one more question. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Hunter, man himself. Are, uh, are you going for a tag next year? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we put in for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably, I'll, I'll probably put in for it. Yeah, I don't blame you, but hey, I don't know, man. <laughs> Killing the state record, you might quit while you're ahead. I know. <laughs> now, I was going to say, listen, you need to put in for both uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, and then look at going out uh, out west, man. I know we had talked about that previously about yeah, go check you know, out did, Montana. Did, yeah, did, did this uh, open up a, a new avenue for you for a new style of hunting since you've never been out west after we had talked about it? And you know, looking at different states, whether you wanted to do an over-the-counter hunt in Colorado uh, or Idaho, or just pretty much you know Montana's pretty much over-the-counter, and or just you know start putting in tags, putting in points for it. But uh, man, I'm telling you what, after that experience, it's got to get you uh, eager to go out west now and and uh, chase more elk and maybe look at other species as well. Yeah, like we were talking, I mean, I don't know if I ever had that experience again, or even going out west. I might never kill a bull that big. But just being able to hunt something that big, that's that loud, and just being just completely different from whitetail hunting out here mm-hmm. in, in the southeast. It was just definitely uh, makes you want to go out west and go elk hunting. Yeah, I mean, truly like a awesome unique experience man i'm jealous <laughs> but uh well, hunter, i was gonna say hunter we, we do appreciate it man you coming on i think this is an awesome episode definitely gotta break down your hunt and you know definitely can i kind of relive the hunt uh through you telling it tonight man so i hope our listeners really enjoyed it i'm sure they will 
uh, and just like this, the story behind this animal. I mean, this this bull is it, it's unreal that you were able to you know harvest a quality animal of that size in, in our state of Tennessee. So that's just phenomenal, man. That's a uh, it's something you can definitely hang your hat on and uh, definitely have a, a, you know you really kicked off your year, I, I believe, uh, going forward. So that's that's great, man. But yeah. w- once They're again, good. Hunter. Yeah, once again, man, we, we appreciate you coming on. Andrew, unless you have any uh, last words, or Hunter, you have any last words for the listener? Um, I don't know if yeah. you have any, any advice you'd give to us, but, uh, man, it's it's been awesome. Yeah, I just want to say thank you, guys. You guys are awesome, and uh, hopefully we us, us three get to hunt sometime together. That'd be awesome. Dude, I'm down, hey, man. I'm going to be in Tennessee next week. Hit me up. <laughs> yeah. Andrew's getting his license. We might do a little fall turkey hunting. We might slap a couple does. And we oh, my gosh, dude. I'll forget about a buck in a heartbeat. A big old fat <laughs> Tom comes by. He's going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but, yeah, we can definitely find out some hunts. So that, that won't be a problem by no means, Hunter. But, man, we we really appreciate it. And, uh, once again, guys, if y'all enjoyed this episode, make sure y'all like and subscribe to the podcast. Also, make sure you share the podcast if you really enjoyed it. Make sure you follow us on both Instagram and Facebook. Along with subscribe to us on YouTube if you're really enjoying what we're doing. Uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up this fall with a lot of cool episodes, just like Hunter's. So, guys, stay tuned and uh, wish y'all the best of luck this weekend. Yep, and if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you'll see me miss a buck. Enjoy. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies so you guys don't miss it it's june 28th through the 30th i'm telling you if you listen to this podcast this is an event you need to be at now we'll see you guys at the mobile hunters expo june 28th through the 30th in dalton georgia